Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, if anything we're seeing at the moment are the two sold-out shows on Sydney stages at the moment are Seven Methods of Killing Kylie Jenner and Ooh. Yellowface. Ooh. Like, we want diverse stories. Mm. We want to see diversity on the Australian stage. So I'm kind of a bit sick of, I really hope, this 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 concept of mm-hmm. everyone being told by the, the not to generalise, but the uh, old white guy at the institution mm-hmm. what your marketability is and what mm. you should go for. I really hope that dies out because yep. ambition's a thing as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's refreshing to see people clamouring for diverse stories because I think that want has always been there. I just mm. think... Uh, Sometimes our hands are tied by safer programming. Welcome, Welcome everybody. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is James. <laughs> I'm Neil. Uh, thanks for coming on board on Sugars today. And we have the wonderful Camilla Turnbull. Hey! <laughs> welcome, welcome. Um, how would you describe your artistry? It's a bit of everything. Uh, multidisciplinary, and I'd, I'd probably that uh, say that has to do a lot with attention deficit. There's just so many things to cover, and I think it's. My artistry is probably quite reactive to the the quite well-known concept in our industry of just being an expert at one thing. I like doing a lot mm, of different mm. things. So there's there's expansion across film, multimedia mm. uh, and performance as well, uh, both on stage and as a creator. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah. And in particular, um, the project that's coming up in just three weeks is The Linden Solution and you're directing. Yes, yes. So uh, new work that I'm directing, I've had a big hand in the creation of the work as well with uh, one of my collaborators, Alexander Lee Rikers, who's a playwright. It's a reactionary new work, so it's just been a pleasure to develop it over the past year and a half now, 18 months. I usually don't spend that long on a project, so it's actually just been a treat. Mm. And I mean, that's a that's one way to look at COVID, the pandemic, <laughs> I suppose, in a proper way. But because you originally, wh- what's the story of the production of this production? Like back in last year? Yeah, so uh, we finished up, uh, Alexander and myself finished up our first collaboration under Ratcatch, mm. which is our production company's name. And that was Vandermar Papers, a play that Alex had written in 2017 and had another director direct. I got a hold of the script and I was like, I love it. Let's redevelop it. Let's restage it. We came off of that and Alex mentioned that he had a pretty clear idea of what he wanted the next project to be and for it to deal with the infiltration of uh, far-right extremism into pockets of Australian culture. Wow. And at first I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, not not that activated by the concept. I was like, cool, I'll, I'll help you develop it. But the more I uh, researched and got into it, uh, by yeah, the end of 2019, uh, we had quite a clear concept, gone through some development, uh, it got picked up by King's Cross the Theatre, Bakehouse, mm. and we were ready to go for April 2020. Oh, yeah, lovely, lovely. <laughs> and it was all, how, how far did you get into the, like the, the rehearsal process or the production process before the pandemic kind of was like, oh, we're going to need to delay this? We were two weeks out. 
Wow. Yeah. And uh, ticket sales just dropped off. Mm. That's how we first knew, like, we... This is real. I mean, everyone was washing their hands and, you know, being a little bit careful, but it first really started affecting us about two weeks out. We saw a complete drop off of ticket sales. We had some dear friends at Bite Productions bumping in their show and they had to call in just at Bump In. Alex was also sound designing a couple of other shows across Sydney and had to have the meeting with uh, Sport for Jove, with NIDA. Like, on the same day, we got three shutdown notices for productions and it was just mind-boggling yeah yeah so just two weeks out but regarding this production i couldn't be more thankful for it yeah well why, well, why is that just honestly uh the the timeline was so quick we weren't expecting to get picked up uh on the on the concept in the first draft script alone by an indie theater company one that we love so much uh bakehouse at kxt and yeah, it just moved very quickly and it felt like we didn't get the time to research and develop the work as much as I would have liked, which is fine. That's a way that uh, sometimes we work. I usually work a lot more slowly, so I kind of got my way in the end. Mm. Uh, we got to redevelop uh, writing again another script through uh, like the peak of COVID and then redeveloping with the actors. We've got the exact same cast joining us. They did another development in November at King's Cross Theatre with us. Um, yeah, it's, it's been incredible. The script has completely changed, mm-hmm. um, and gotten more relevant, mm-hmm. which is perhaps a little bit sad. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in, in your development of scripts, um, uh, the reason I ask, I know a few folks out there who are doing exactly the same thing. Now, um, what are the, what are the process? Is there an actual classical process to develop a script? Um, or how do you go about doing that? Uh, because reason being, I, I know a few folks who are having issues with that. Um, and how do you go around certain issues? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I am not a writer, but I work with writers. So my answer is going to be a bit unique. Sure. I love collaboration. Mm. And something that this particular show coming up has really benefited from is collaboration. Uh, Alexander is a very traditional playwright, went to NIDA, writes incredible cerebral contemporary comedies that are very relevant, very highbrow, but they're not too highbrow to be funny. Uh, And I am a very subversive artist with a background across a bunch of disciplines uh, that works a lot in developing new works, new voices. Mm -hmm. So the writing process for me as a person that uh, has no formal training in writing is a lot of throwing ideas at the wall, seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. And a lot of discussion, Mm -hmm. a lot of what-ifs going to extremes and then, uh, yeah, just drawing the good out of that. Mm -hmm. Being open to change, Mm -hmm. uh, my greatest hope going into any collaborative creative process, Mm -hmm. I love collaboration, my greatest hope is whatever idea I throw out, whoever I'm working with has got an idea ten times better than me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I get to kind of put that in my pocket and claim it as my own. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's just working with other people has really opened mm-hmm. up a door in terms of creating mm-hmm. new work for me and uh, to work with a writer who lets me into that process and has yeah. let me mould it a bit has been an absolute joy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, uh, talking about yourself, um, where did this journey start and, uh, um, yeah, where did, where did this journey start for you? Oh, uh, which, which journey? Directing? Uh, the well, the, uh, well, the creative journey. The creative journey, which is a, like, I know it's a broad question, no, but I love the but I but I guess like today actually I spoke to one of my uncles today and he said to me, um, 
uh, he made a really good point today. Is you know doctors when you you study medicine, um, they they study certain s- specific med- part of medicine, and then they do other things. So same thing with creativity. Like that's why I always ask the question: your creative journey is supposed to, or what's your director's journey? Because it's not always that. It's always a broad thing for us. Oh, I'm so excited because I was just like, how far do you want me to go back? Uh, so I started like a creative parents. Mum's a you know opera and jazz singer. Dad was an actor, so always like banging for the stage as a child. Mm-hmm. Very look at me as a young person. Uh, and when I was like I was in productions at school as an actor, but you know I didn't take any of that seriously because I knew that I was better than whatever was happening <laughs> in school. Mm-hmm. But a very sheltered child still. Like I didn't really go and do many big social groups or social activities or go hang out at ATYP. There wasn't really anything in my area mm-hmm. um, for me as a young person to cling to. I grew up in quite an insulated area north of Sydney. And when I was 15, I made the decision that I wanted to start in stand-up comedy and that's where things sort of started for me. And so I entered a bunch of open mics, some competitions, and I was – I have no idea what I was thinking. How old were you, sorry? How old were you? 15. 15. Wow. Wow. Um, and maybe the first three months I was just on – I was on my own level of um, – Tried a few things out that didn't work. Like, uh, <laughs> do you remember anything? Oh yeah, no. Uh, I was just very committed to the concept of wearing. I had these like black. I had the worst fashion as a teenager, but I had these black angel wings that I wore on stage, and I also had a suitcase, like a briefcase, a proper briefcase that like your dad would have brought to work. <laughs> um, was also a thing that was just that was my look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you were just walking on the stage with a briefcase, and we put the brief, yep, briefcase down just and. There was no reason for it. Um, (laughs) But uh, developed quite quickly and started doing uh, gigs at the comedy store, went down, did a comedy festival, did a lot of showcases, did, uh, you know, gigs around uh, Glebe, around the rocks and was hanging out with, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s who were also trying their hand at comedy for the first time or had been doing it for a while, you know. The first time I shared a significant stage, it was with um, Josh Thomas, of all people. Hosting um, Bo Burnham, Tom Ballard. I got wow. to work with some incredible yeah. fucking people. I was like, That's great. Holy shit. It was amazing. Uh, but I was, you know, 15, 16, 17. And by the age of 17, it's when, you know, I'd, I'd done a few things. I was doing school. I was coming up to my HSC. And I'd banked a lot of that part of my career on probably being a lot more uh, provocative and crass and severe on stage than I've probably ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, yeah, seeing a 15-year-old girl say some uh, messed up stuff was apparently my calling card. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of got to a point where I realised all my friends were, you know, in their mid-30s and, uh, you know, doing things that I'd never done, drugs, uh, you know, drinking heavily, and I was a very sheltered young person. Mm. Um, I didn't have that many friends my own age, and I just... At that point in my life, particularly as a 17-year-old vulnerable, uh, you know, female at that point, it just sort of fell out of uh, vogue for me. I just, all of a sudden it became a little bit scary and weird Mm. and it's like the light came on in the room a bit more. I still love comedy. I love the comedy scene. Um, I went back and did a couple of sets, uh, I think, three years ago now. Oh, great. Um, And it was was amazing just to step back on stage again, but I, I still, like, I have the biggest respect to comedians because it's incredibly lonely um, 
space to be in. It's very isolating. Mm. Um, there are some incredible comedians out there though and sometimes I wish I'd really stuck with it. Um, but that's where it started for me, mm. comedy. And then I moved into acting in my final year of high school, which is where I met James. Mm. Funnily enough, uh, I was doing Short and Sweet and uh, met James around that time who I just I just thought was one of the most incredible performers <laughs> I'd ever met. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, it was just. It's very hard to believe. but <laughs> no, it's such an electric energy. I remember, I remember the show you were in, you made out with an orange. Um, yeah, and yeah, it just, yeah. that image stuck with me. <laughs> I haven't thought about it in years, but I was just like, <laughs> I remember that. Um, and I just, I started meeting, you know, people where the age gap wasn't so severe, people who were just a couple of years older who were also, you know, like cutting their teeth in the indie, th- indie theatre scene, um, acting, directing, writing, and people who were just, particularly through Short and Sweet, putting up new shows, trying out new ideas, and unafraid if that was just where the idea went, if mm. it was just a, you know, if it was just a 10-minute play or if that could be a film, like people were developing new things, mm. uh, collaborating and working together, and that's, I think it left a bigger mark on me than I've probably ever really thought it did. Wow. This is so lovely yeah. because we, I feel like we have all started from short and sweet. That's why. Because <laughs> I started from short and sweet. Thanks, as well. Alex Burns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, yeah, good. No, no. Well, yeah, you, uh, can in continue, and then and you kind of started getting, I guess, more bit by the theatre bug and the mm, new sorry. work. Yeah, bug. I, I went. Um, I finished school, um, and then I studied acting for a year at Sydney Theatre School. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I worked under Michael Piggott, who's one of the most fantastic devisers mm. um, and just an incredible teacher in the Sydney scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm Frawley, who just want an incredible person for uh, young actors to know. I believe he has taught everybody. Um, I genuinely do. And I got to the end of that year and I won't lie, I felt like I was I was top of my class. I felt like I was quite good, mm-hmm. um, felt pretty shit hot. And then the wind kind of came out of my sails. I started having conversations with people who have been in the industry for a while and the rhetoric I kept getting handed was there'll always be somebody prettier, younger, more talented, better connected. Mm. And I think it's a rhetoric that uh, particularly gets handed to young women just out of studying and it was confronting. I also thought I don't... Like, I'm not interested in working to be prettier or better connected. I like the artists I'm connected with now. I like the Mm. person that I am um, and just really strongly rejecting that. So I then went to film school Mm -hmm. and decided to be behind the camera for a bit, Mm. Um, which was, yeah, that really aided the creative process. And I took a lot from those early experiences of, you know, devising my own stand-up routines, uh, working on plays for short and sweet into creating film work or just an experimental piece of multimedia and uh, working with new people in a different way. And I always remember in uh, film school at UTS, uh, I'd speak to so many aspiring directors, writers, producers, and still as a young person, we're all young, uh, they'd tend to be like, oh, how do you know how to talk to actors? Weird question. (laughs) Such a weird question when you pull that apart. (laughs) Uh, Because I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean, how do you know how to talk to actors? You talk to them like they're people doing a job. I don't – I think it's because there's a lot of – No, I I think there's there's something to that. There's something to it because I've – 
I, I don't know if I was having a conversation with you or someone else, but uh, I think there is something to that. I think if you've acted before, you know, like how you want to be spoken to in terms of being an actor on stage or whatever it is. And there's a lot of directors out there who have not been actors and not aware of um, different processes. I know everyone has their own processes, right? But they don't know how to talk to them. But I think, that, yeah. And oh, yeah. I fair point. Uh, yeah, not to shit on my, my beloved film school bros, but uh, beware the director who's only watched movies. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyone who hasn't cut their teeth working with someone yet, like everyone just deserves that opportunity. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing to get kudos for, but there is something in knowing how to talk to people mm. um, and talk to other artists and also not getting weirded out by that. I know definitely the times I've felt less confident have been like, oh my God, how do I talk to this writer? How do I talk to this actor? Because you just want to feel like you're good at your job. Mm. And sometimes you just wake up and you don't feel very good at that at all. Mm. Um, so I get it. I get the query. But um, yeah, film school was just an amazing time to just experiment. And that's where a lot of my uh, more subversive art style came out of mm. just trying things a million different ways and uh, kind of going against the grain. The whole yeah. the, I just want to go back to when you said about the rhetoric that that's that sort of I guess cancers towards uh, towards our to our industries that uh, there's always going to be something pretty or whatever or whatever. Uh, I got that as well, like it, you know, and um, this is that I think that drove me harder. That drove me even harder. I'm so glad that drove you harder. Yeah. because I wish I wish it drove me. Yeah, because I mean, it got I'm me so angry. Glad. It got me really angry, <laughs> and for some reason, anger like drives me. <laughs> so, um, but. This is another reason why we do have this uh, podcast, Chukas, because so that people who are creative out there, like it, we are together on, in this journey, and and we don't need the outside community to tell us how we're going to drive this boat. And I feel like that's that where that rhetoric came from, because people go, "Oh, he's she, she, he or she or what they they're very pretty or whatever." Or you know, tell it's not about this. We're telling the story and the journey, and the story is more important than the actual actor. Or the actual whatever. Are you getting the word? No. Then you're not listening to the actual story. Absolutely. It's um, Marketing comes into it quite a bit, but marketing is not synonymous with art. I think it's very important to learn how to market yourself mm-hmm. and who, you, who yep. you, you can be. I mean, as a performer, I still know I can be, you know, like quirky in a West lady or, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, chubby, funny friend. I can, I can be those things, but uh, that's okay. But it's also not the be all and end all. No, mm. I don't. I don't um, so. And yeah, I think everyone in this room has that experience of being told, "Oh, I mean, you can go for that, but you may not be successful because yeah. people won't see you that way." Yeah, and that's the, and that stops people from from getting ahead, and that should really stop. You know, like um, and. And it's people who are out there who um, are not strong. We're not all strong and we're not all uh, ready to take on those challenges. Um, it hinders their progress in, in the creative world and it hinders other stories to be told. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, if anything we're seeing at the moment are the two sold-out shows on Sydney stages at the moment are Seven Methods of Killing Kylie Jenner and Ooh. Yellowface. Ooh. Like, we want diverse stories. Ooh, we want to see diversity on the Australian stage. So I'm kind of a bit sick of, I really hope this 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 concept of mm-hmm. everyone being told by the, the not to generalise, but the uh, 
old white guy at the institution mm-hmm. what your marketability is and what mm. you should go for. I really hope that dies out because yep. ambition's a thing as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's refreshing to see people clamoring for diverse stories because I think that want has always been there. I just mm. think uh, sometimes our hands are tied by safer programming. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Well, can you, can you uh, go leading into that, can you remark on why do you think that diversity and representation is important in the arts? I would be a totally different person if, uh, I mean, I can only speak as a, as a white person with a, uh, the assigned female experience because um, I identify as non-binary. Uh, my life would be entirely different if I had a different form of representation in terms of sexuality and gender uh, on screen, in art, in my life. From a young age, I grew up in uh, Sydney's Bible Belt and mm. uh, was the queer was squashed out of me quite young. Um, and that, that was incredibly hard to deal with. It took a long time to clamber back on that. And the, mm. the mental health ramifications of that never quite uh, wore off. Mm. Um, to see more and more incredible queer stories coming out is just an absolute delight. Mm-hmm. Um there's a great uh, disclosure. Is a fantastic documentary about uh, the uh, representation of the trans experience uh, on screens throughout time. And uh, there's someone in the documentary who talks about, you know, uh, watching Silence of the Lambs as a trans person mm. and uh, seeing Buffalo Bill and just going, that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want my experience reduced down to. But also just kind of going, is this is this what we get? Is this is this all there is in terms of being, you know, represented? Mm. I just don't think that is the way it is. Uh, diversity is so important because I, I am one of the people who was lucky enough to catch Yellowface at KXT mm. and, God, it is the best play I have seen on stage wow. Uh, wow. in the past 18 months. Yeah. Uh, Tasneem Hussein is an absolute legend mm. um, and I say that as a fan, not as a friend. I, I would love to be friends with Tasneem. Um, but the team, Jasper Lee Lindsay, Tasneem, uh, Janine Lau, they have done an incredible job getting a diverse story on stage and selling out within 24 hours of opening mm. night. Like, mm. I really people are, oh, I really do see whatever it. you can to get yep. a ticket. It's just, I'm hoping they release another show. Um, so listen out for that. But uh, it's, diversity is just the cornerstone of who we are as contemporary Australia. And I think the sooner, Everyone recognises that. I think generationally, I think the generations we're part of have kind of come to the party. I Mm. think once institutions start being genuine about it, I think once uh, the uh, upper echelon of the Sydney arts scene starts being uh, more genuine about it Mm. and representing a diverse Australia, the better. Yeah, Mm. Because there's also still a lot of tokenism going on too. um, True, true. Which is a whole other thing. I was subject to it as well once, so um, yeah. <laughs> I went to watch an STC so f- uh, STC show a few weeks ago, and then I went to watch uh, Seven Ways of Killing Kylie Jenner, and I was like, <laughs> I was I was with my partner and a few other friends, whatever, and I was like, oh, that was the best show I've seen in months, if not going on year. Friday. I cannot. Oh, uh, it's wonderful. It's so I told everyone about like, please go watch this show. This is what Australia and this is what society is about. This is culture. This is our culture. You can relate to it. Go watch it. Because like I went to watch, I watch went to watch uh, 
the STC show. And I went there and I'm like, oh, mate, I'm just watching another white people do the white thing again. Like, it's just <laughs> like, same thing, same story, you know. It's like, oh, no, no, we have some diverse stuff. I'm like, nah, but it's all the same stories, mate. Like, I, I, I'm not interested in it anymore. I'm like, it's not Australia. This is not Australia at all. Yeah, I, uh, look, um, as a person that loves classic work and loves loves work in the in the contemporary canon as well, I'm actually really happy to read it or to watch the National Theatre Live broadcast version of it because uh, we don't need every institution doing a Chekhov mm. um, <laughs> or just, just hitting the classic hits. I want new stuff. I want all those new playwrights coming out of institutions mm. getting commissioned. I want all those performance artists getting mm. a go. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I would love a five-year ban on the classics. Um, that oh, would be. Five <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's yet. really but cool. But that's actually that's actually a good idea. I like that idea. That should be on a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I like teach Shakespeare at schools. So I'm like, I'm like, yes, a five year ban would be great. We can still appreciate it, but you know, I've seen same thing done over again. Fifteen productions of Midsummer Night's Dream in my time, <laughs> and we, we won't talk about the year I saw. You know, four different productions of Peter Pan oh. on main stages and off. I was, I was just like, come on, mm. like it's just. It's a, I mean, I love Peter Pan, but um, not it's an easy. The thing is, that the, the the unfortunate thing. It's an easy sell for a lot of people, and and a lot of these companies. Um, they know their market and then they're going to sell those tickets. They know they're going to sell those tickets no matter what. Even if it's a, if it's a horrible production of it, but they're still going to come watch Shakespeare. There's still the, the same um, people out there going to watch it, which are women and men, in white women in the 60s and 70s, 50s, who have the money to pay $150, $200 for a ticket. Absolutely, and and uh, young artists who don't want to get left behind because we get parroted this, this concept that... Uh, if you're serious about being an artist, if you're serious about being an actor, a playwright, director on the Australian stage, you've got to be seeing what's on it, uh, all the big institutions. And mm. I would love a job. I would love to be asked to dance by by uh, Belvoir, Griffin, STC. I'm a particularly big fan of Griffin's work. Mm. But programming on small stages like Darlinghurst Theatre Company, mm. I'm a big fan of. I, I really love the chances they're taking. Um there's just so much exciting stuff on offer at Darlinghurst. I'm a big fan of their season that they've got coming up, um, and I will I will be seeing every show. Great. <laughs> well, I mean, like aside from say like a five year ban, what else? What <laughs> else could? What else can like we do? Like audiences, uh, creators, and curators. Like what? What? Any ideas of you from you that what could we, what could we all do? Uh, I mean, you're going to – the five-year ban is – I'm so glad that's what's been picked up out of this. <laughs> um, it's very catchy. I'm also oh, – this is a controversial idea. No, so please, feel, uh, please. Just throw I'm, it I'm driven then. by the concept. If it's been done before, find the best way to do it or find another idea. Because, mm. yes, we've, we've – I just – yeah, it's for me – I've seen every web series about Sydney actors and there are some amazing talents. Mm-hmm. They're really fabulous. Mm-hmm. I want to see I want to see the idea you never thought would make it to the to the web series. I want to see the the thing in your mind that you've held on to as an artist because you're like, "Oh no, that idea is too grand, too big, too mm. unachievable, too wild, too weird. People won't like it." 
that's what I want to see more of. And I, I would love to see more partnerships between collaborators where we encourage those ideas. Yeah. Um, the other thing I am a big fan of is slow down and listen. Um, I make work quite slowly, as I've said before, uh, because I love watching other people's work. I'll slowly plot away at uh, the design concept for the new show that I'm working on or an idea for a script or uh, just, you know, a development in a rehearsal room. I'll slowly work on that, but I just I don't want to miss what else is on offer on the stage. Mm. I don't want to miss, you know, uh, a film festival of new work coming out. Um, Sydney Underground Film Festival is one of my favourite events of the year and I get really cranky if I miss it because it's just got the most weird cinema from around the world, stuff you wouldn't usually see. Mm. And I think slowing down and listening, really paying attention instead of focusing on yourself and what am I going to do as an artist and how am I going to make my mark and me, 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 me. Um, particularly if you're from a uh, background um, with a certain amount of privilege. Uh, because, yeah, there's a lot of stories I could tell, but um, I'm only really interested in putting forward the ones that are new and a bit different because s- some of the other stories I've got to tell aren't that unique, mm. um, aren't that new. Um, and I think the difference between just... Uh, you know, me putting on uh, my outer space version of The Importance of Being Earnest <laughs> and <laughs> a show like uh, Seven Methods of Killing Kylie Jenner is this this newness, this relatability, this, this finger on the pulse mm. of what we're all thinking and feeling and that, that provocation culturally that you just don't get from my shitty out of space version of the importance of being earnest yeah but i want to do it's a passion project but <laughs> it's purely for me right yeah 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 great wonderful wonderful i think uh when i did watch seven methods of killing kylie jenner and i was sitting in the crowd and the audience rather and uh and the many funny moments i can't wait till you watch it by the way and, and um everyone like i was laughing and my partner was laughing but we were both laughing together we spoke about that on the road. We were laughing for different reasons, you know, uh, but we're still laughing and we could still relate to it. And oh, this is us. But I think the actually the the, um, the playwright is from UK. Yes, yeah. yes, she is from uh, the UK. Uh, but it it there is a relevance there. I also think there you is, know yeah. this play. Yeah. Oh, what's it called? I want to say twenty eighteen. It premiered in the UK. Uh, yeah. I, I has I, I spoke to um, the director about it. I should take a I should take a <laughs> notes. <laughs> um, Jasmine it. Simmons, the playwright, and yeah, uh, yeah it, it's still new. It's still relevant. I also think yeah, these these ideas don't. A really good idea may not have an expiration date. Mm-hmm. Um, some ideas do. Some concepts do have an expiration date. We were very prepared with Lyndon that it may. Uh, be better not to put the show on. Even if mm. the opportunity is there, it still may not be relevant enough. And uh, boy, were we wrong. So, I mean, lucky me. Yeah, actually, do you mind talking about that for a little bit? Because we talked about this a little bit before the show. But what made The Linen Solution even more relevant over the, the past year? Yes. Um, so to, to get political for a moment, because it is a very politically motivated play about the infiltration of uh, far-right extremism in uh, Australian culture... Uh, 
it became more relevant during COVID um, in particular. You can read uh, All Together Now, which is a fantastic Australian organisation for the prevention of racism. Uh, they put together a report uh, about how through COVID uh, they were able to mark that more young people uh, were successfully being targeted to join uh, online uh, far-right extremism groups. Um there are news reports as well. Uh, there was one I was reading on the ABC, I think, about a month ago about, I believe it was a UK uh, far-right extremist group that were trying to infiltrate a country town in, uh, I think it was Victoria. And oh. both uh, Alex and I were like, oh, shit, that's the play. That's <laughs> actually the play. Oh, no, we built it into existence. Uh, things like the storming of the capital in the US, having an actual dictator in charge of that country. Mm. Um, and the spread of misinformation, the recruitment of uh, young people, people all over, but particularly young people through the spread of misinformation, uh, particularly in the past year, at least the attention given to it has been uh, astronomical. I believe propaganda's always been there, but uh, particularly I think when we're all locked in our homes uh, and we're all waiting out a pandemic, people were very politically activated, um, they were isolated and they were vulnerable. Mm. You've got a computer mm. screen in front of you. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to get into, uh, you know, fascist memes, which is a whole other thing, fascist mm. memes. Like, <laughs> holy, like, like they, they've, like, Far-right extremists found, like, their best young people and they got them in charge of uh, making fascist memes on mm. Instagram. Wow. And it's... I mean, fascism is a word that gets thrown around a lot um, incorrectly. It's more of a system of identifying particular, like, political uh, structures rather than uh, something that is more of an ideology. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of a lot of angry young people being recruited through Instagram. And again, lots of reports coming out about uh, Instagram uh, programming having to catch up and uh, ban particular hashtags that are being used because the movement uh, gets more and more underground right. every time. Yeah. It's, I sound like a conspiracy theorist is what I sound like right now. Um, no, not, not yet. No, 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 yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me know when I do. Let me know when I do. I think it's just because the concept is so crazy mm. to be a real thing. Um but here we are. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's 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 really fascinating. That's wonderful. And so, um, l l the Linden Solution KXT Bakehouse. When? What are the dates for that? We are previewing on the twenty sixth, twenty seventh, twenty eighth of May. We open on the 29th and we are there through to June fifth. It's a short season, uh, two weeks. Uh, snap up a ticket. You can get them through the KXT website or Humanitics. But yeah, it's just, we've got an incredible cast. It's a great story. It is just, it's going to be bonkers. Wonderful. We'll put that up on our Instagram. Please. And everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and lastly, also, yeah, talking about um, wishing you chookers on your future project. Um, are there any colleagues that we could also give chookers and a shout out to on Instagram? Absolutely. Uh, colleagues. So, uh, absolutely, uh, Jasper Lindsay and Janine Lau at Dinosaurus Productions for Yellowface. I know they just went up, but oh my god, they're 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 on fire. They're absolutely on fire. Uh, we've also got the team at Bite Productions, uh, in particular Eve Beck and Madeline Osborne, putting up two twenty-somethings decide to never ever be stressed about anything again ever at KXT. They're just before us. They're neighbours. They're dear friends. We love them a lot. 
Um, oh gosh, who else is up? I just what a time for uh, shows at the moment. We've mm. really we've really come out smelling like roses in some ways. Um, maybe that's ignorant to say. Uh, oh well, it is. We had it was time where we had we were inside and we were writing and reading, and Absolutely. and learning. Yeah, and uh, now we're showing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget just how recent that was, mm. um, and I'm I'm flagellating myself there. Ah, mm. uh, uh, golly, who else? Who else? Who else? I'm gonna f- kick myself. I'm gonna. No, get everybody like, oh, does. No. Everybody does afterwards on oh. the ride home. I know it's a it's a classic hit. Um, There's no one else like that. You can't <laughs> think of anybody. Is there's too many people to too many people there to There is. Yeah. I mean, Rogue Projects have a show going up in the Bordello room upstairs at KXT. It's a lot of KXT related stuff. I, I no, great. love that team very much. Incredible. I mean, we've just had uh, the announcement that uh, Sydney Fringe is joining us again later this year. Mm. Um, and I'm so excited to see Sydney Fringe again. I love a fringe festival. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's just two. Many incredible productions to share the love mm. around too. No, but those are great. Those, those are, are wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll put that all on Instagram and hopefully get them a shout out to them or everyone else. And I'll have to find every one of them. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's great. It's, I love doing that kind of stuff. It's great. That's what I love doing. <laughs> um, I, I have a quick, quick, quick question for you. Um, the This is your question, actually. Yours asks this question. Can you ask uh, the question? Well, what's the question? I can't. The, I don't the, know. The ten thousand, the million dollar question. Oh, oh! I just yeah. started that recently. I yeah, get a I million like dollars. No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get a million so dollars. If, so what? What would you? What would you create yeah, if you were given a blank check budget for, um, like, a hundred thousand dollars, and then what would you do with a budget of like ten million dollars? I'm inclined to do something stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, goodness. I'll, I'll give you my, my silly answer, which would just be, you know, like a redo the entirety of Game of Thrones um, oh. with Michael Caine in every role. Um, <laughs> the the $100,000 one, uh, I, I can't tell you how I'd spend every cent, but for me it would be commissioning someone else's work mm, honestly it's, mm. it's just for me it's uh commissioning the work of someone who i really think deserves to be on the stage and i won't i won't name that now um mm, no sure uh, with my imaginary hundred thousand dollars but commissioning someone else's work and really um i'd want to invest that into another uh artist honestly mm. uh someone whose work i don't think has had a fair go yet mm. um the the squillion dollar one mm. um Stadium tour of the Linden Solution worldwide. Yeah, mate. great. Absolutely. Great. I mean, like, it's it's relevant. It's political. It's global. I mean, it's if we didn't have a pandemic, it'd be it'd be this. Um, yeah. <laughs> so those those are my answers. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> great answers. Um, if there's an an idol out there or someone who who do you look up to? Uh, or is it is it someone? Yeah, there are absolutely people I look up to. Um. I very much look up to Susanna KXT. It's going to be weird because they're all personal. Um, I look up to very dearly uh, the person that showed me slowing down was important. That's my dear friend Erica Brennan. Mm. She's a wonderful creator uh, across performance, just really clever. 
and amazing. She's doing wonderful stuff at Woodford Folk Festival every year, just really slowing down her process and creating some juicy stuff. Um, I really admire, golly, uh, I think James at Brand X, uh, the programmer at Brand X, I think he's very smart and I'd love to be in, he's the job I would love to have, honestly. Uh, again, not a person I know personally. I just think his programming of new and experimental works, um, performances and experiences for the stage and his patronage of emerging experimental artists is honestly unparalleled and much needed in a scene like ours. Mm. If I could have a job, it'd be his picking who's the next awesome person I want to give a space and resources to. That would be incredible. Great. Um, that's where I want to be in 10 years is just being the person that hands out the cash and I don't need to <laughs> have an idea ever again. That would be brilliant. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on board on Chookers and supporting us and uh, hopefully we can support you and uh, everyone listening, listening out there. Please uh, hook up the, all the uh, links uh, I will put up on the Instagram um, and the KXC show. Uh, which starts on 26th of May till 5th of June, the Linden Solutions. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Camilla. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. All right. Thanks, everybody. Chookers!